Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this week's episode of the Big Footy Bombercast. And it's a much, much happier Bombercast this week because, of course, you are listening to the post-Hawthorne version of the Bombercast. And we, of course, finally got a victory. Now, I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Grizz. But before I throw to Grizz, just as a heads up, later on in the podcast, we will be talking to a Swans poster. So, Milky from the Swans board, he was on the Swans podcast for Big Footy. He will be joining us to talk about all things... Sydney in preparation for this weekend's upcoming game. But Grizz, Saturday night, how good was it? Oh, look, if you're going to win any game, you want to be beaten Hawthorne. It was great to watch. And especially like... I. I was away. I was sort of out most of the day. And the first I heard of the five laid outs was at about 7.19 as I sat down to watch the footy, which just sort of made it all the better. But oh, what a win. And, um, you know, even if we don't win another game for a while, the look on Sam Mitchell's face after the siren makes it all worth it. It does. I do just look... I. This may get edited out because, of course, we we don't like to talk positive about Sam Mitchell as Essendon fans. But I will just say very briefly, his press conference was fairly impressive because the media were trying to get him to basically say that Essendon didn't deserve to win it, Hawthorne lost it. And he steadfastly just kept giving us credit. So I actually didn't mind his his press conference, but I will admit I did get a, a certain amount of pleasure out of, uh, out of how sad and frustrated he looked in the coach's box afterwards. His, his, <laughs> his bottom lip could not have got any lower. It would have been hard like, in the sense that he probably like he had to expect a better performance in that second half than they did. But I think to sort of what you just said, last seven you don't keep the last seven goals of the game like we did without any sort of due effort on our behalf. And I I think we should probably start with the man, the myth, the legend that is Peter Wright, who kicks six straight. Like his goal kicking just in general is unbelievable. But he's twenty three goals for the year now. You and I sort of talked before the year that he might be a good second or third tall forward. He might well be and number one at this point. You're right. He's definitely come on a lot better than than we sort of hoped. I think uh, at the start of the year in our, in our preview podcast and throughout the podcast, we, we we have said this year that we don't think he's the number one forward and that he makes a great number two, but he's not the forward you build your, your lineup around. But I mean, performances like last night and he did it you know, last year against the Bulldogs as well. And he, he, he and you're right, he has kicked 23 goals this year. So he is averaging, you know, he's, he's, he's almost his three goals a game type thing. So maybe he is that forward you can build a... a a side around, a build a Ford 50 around. Um, I, I think as good as he was, I think he certainly benefited last night by having other multiple targets around him. Having Baldwin, mm-hmm. Francis and, and Brian, or even Draper, I think Draper spent most of his rest on the bench as opposed to up forward. I think that just helped Wright a lot because if you sort of watch the replay, Baldwin and, and Francis, they, they didn't kick the six goals. Francis kicked two, Baldwin kicked one. And, and yeah, they didn't, they didn't dominate like Peter did, but they did a lot of, leading away from Peter. And it sounds silly to say that, but it just means that he was able to sort of get that free run and, and jump at the ball as opposed to having to somehow try and outmark four blokes in front of him while, the, while his teammates stand around dimly staring at him, hoping him to, to take mark of the year every time. I think we talked about this last few weeks where Peter Wright just sort of looked less potent because he had four guys zoning off their opponents. Because, you know, when, when it's Guelphie, Waterman and Baldwin, you know, they're, they're not, not really going to honor those guys aerially and you know i i'm still not sold on aaron francis as a forward but one thing he does do is jump at the footy in a way which as a defender makes you nervous and really that's all you really want because that means that the defenders aren't preoccupied with peter wright and yeah he's just his ability to stretch out and he was on i think it was sam frost at one point who's you know six foot five 
pretty rangy guy. He made him look small when they were stretching out for the footy in the marking contest. And you forget he's six foot eight and he moves quite well. But I want to ask you, you've been sort of, I'm going to call you sort of the president slash chairman of the Nick Bryan Draper Combo Fan Club. You've been championing this, I reckon, since about round two. Take your flowers, Bonso. How did you find it on the weekend? Yeah, look, I, I liked it. I, I thought it worked well. I I probably wasn't as big on Draper's game as some others, maybe. I still think Draper was pretty disappointing for two and a half quarters last night. Oh, he's, look, his last quarter, we, we don't get on top in the middle without his ruck work. There's, there's no two ways about it. His ruck work in that last quarter absolutely won us that game. And I think Zach Merritt said today that he's actually been ill throughout the week. So it was a pretty big effort for him to get up and for him to show something in that last quarter, he's even more, says even more about his character, really. But I just thought that having Brian there as the, as the chop out just meant that Draper was able to just go that little bit harder because the problem with when you put a Baldwin or a right in as the second ruck, as we've said before, you take right out of forward line, who are we kicking it to? Baldwin as a second ruck is just insanity. Having a second ruck allows Draper to go his goofy, goofiest and hardest for 10 minutes, 15 minutes and a quarter, knowing that he's got somebody there who can then take over and take the reins. And I thought Brian, the times when he went in last night was good. I thought, unfortunately for him, he made probably the best spoil of the night running back into the defensive 50 when he... Oh, yes. That was... His closing speed to get to that was just amazing for a Ruckman. And then, unfortunately, oh. he hit it down Jack Gunston's throat. And Jack Gunston couldn't have hit the side of a barn last night. His goal kicking was terrible. But, of course, the one time Nick Bryan does something brilliant, oh. Gunston manages to actually slot it through the middle. So, I liked it. I thought it was something that worked well and I think it's something that we should continue to work on in the future. And the thing is, I suppose, it was a move that Truck had already made prior to the five late changes. So it is not a move that was made out of necessity. It was a, a predetermined move and I think one that, that they'll stick with him in the coming weeks. Well, I think Truck's shown a willingness to go with two rucks. I think he played Draper and Phillips both earlier this year. I think it was probably more just he didn't think Ryan was ready and look to some extent he probably isn't but it's not about readiness at this point I think with Nick Bryan this is his third year uh, but not really going for anything this year in terms of finals placings and stuff just get minutes into him and I agree I think Draper he only had four disposals which seems like it felt like he had more um, in the game but that fourth quarter some of those breaking sort of those clearances where he got the ball and just Printed forward were a sight to behold. <laughs> um, he did get torched a bit going back the other way. Max Lynch sort of got a hold of him, hold of him in the first half, but I think you know Draper was a bit more disciplined in the second half. I wanted to ask you about the the much sort of talked about midfield. I thought Zach Merritt and Darcy Parrish got plenty of the ball as normal, but you and I talked last week about Darcy Parrish's sort of with Jamie, of course, Darcy Parrish's sort of hurt factor. Much better kick to handball ratio this week. Sixteen disposals, uh, sixteen kicks and handballs each, four hundred and forty meters gained. Zach looked a, probably a bit rusty to kick in that first half, but came home with a wet sail. And I just thought the midfield was way more balanced. Um, this week, I think Jai Caldwell had a low number of disposals, but you could tell like, when he and Ben Hobbs were in there, they cracked in hard. Uh, and sort of that group turned the clearances because, you know, Andrew McGrath spent a lot of time in defence and did really well, sort of shut down Luke Bruce really effectively. And um, Dylan Shields sort of had a, a, a rough night, unfortunately. And he looks like he's just labouring at the moment, both mentally and physically. But I thought the midfield had a much better day, far more attacking. The, we, we talked about the handball and kick ratio last week. It was much better this week. 
I think it was, you know, plus 90 kicks to handballs this week as opposed to negative 30 the week before. And not that it was completely perfect. We got opened up the other way a couple of times, but the forwards looked better because I think the midfield were more proactive in their ball use. Yeah, so absolutely. The midfield was certainly more balanced last night. And, and you mentioned the, the kick to handball ratio. And, and, I, and I worked it out and actually mentioned it earlier today on the board that you know our kick to handball ratio last night was 1.72. So that means that for every handball, you're giving off 1.72 kicks. Now, it doesn't sound massive, but then if you compare it to the Bulldogs, where the ratio is... 1.12, Collingwood 1.02, and Fremantle 1.11. Last night, they, they definitely put an emphasis on getting the ball in the boot and actually moving it forward. They didn't really do those handballs. There was one late in the game, again, uh, well, it was halfway through that last quarter, sorry, it wasn't quite as late as I indicated, but Archie Perkins led up at the ball and they handballed it to him. He had to do the U-turn, turn, and to his credit, he turned around and he hit a target and um, we went back and we kicked the goal, but it, it, it just made me pull my hair out solid <laughs> because a bloke's leading up here at the ball, don't handball it to him. <laughs> what, what, what oh, the tw- the uh, 30 metre handballs people coming on the lead. It's like, why don't you just kick it? The last four weeks, we were talking about the handball to kick ratio. Last night, it was plus 94 kicks. The three weeks before that, we were averaging about negative 23. So we had 23 on average, 23 more handballs and kicks over the last three weeks that we had lost. So it just shows when we're proactively, you know, taking the game on, move, driving through our legs and kicking to targets instead of handballing in circles. Yeah, look, defensively, we probably opened ourselves up a bit at times, but we just look so much more attacking when we got it right, which is probably in that third and fourth quarter. And I think one player that's that's underrated from last night, and it's it's the bloke that uh, he's, he's been maligned in the past, but we're all starting to really love him now, and that's Laverde again. I thought his early work was amazing. He, he was single-handedly repelling Hawthorne for us early in that first quarter. He just kept getting the ball time and time again. would run off his man, would back himself in. And the, the thing that really helped him last night, and it's something that we've all been screaming at again for a while, and, and this was a move that came out of necessity, was was the introduction of Zerk Thatcher and Zach Reed. So we actually had two tall targets. Yeah. Or two, sorry, not targets. Two tall defenders down there alongside Laverde, which just helped him play into you know his strengths. It didn't mean that he had to try and give away eight or nine centimetres and still be able to intercept and still try and rebound. He was able to just get on somebody his own size, have them covered in the air and then do his thing. So, yeah, I, I was very impressed last night and I'll, and I'll be very disappointed if next week we go back to just trying to play him as, as a key position defender because I think I think that's a waste of time. And maybe as amazing as he's, well, he's been very good for us since he's come across, but maybe it does mean that Jake Kelly doesn't have a spot on the side because at the moment, if you're looking at our back line, as I said, I would much rather have two tall timbers down there alongside Laverde rather than Laverde, a tall timber, Oof. and Jake Kelly as the, as the third. And, and, oh, and look, I'm... Jake's done nothing wrong. So that's the, that's the problem. But just from a team balance point of view, we look much better having two tall defenders down there. Yeah, I'm, oof, I would stop short of Jake Kelly being left out of the team. I understand the point you're making. I do agree that we need two genuine key defenders plus Laverde. We've been trying to get away with Jordan Ridley playing as a key defender um, or Laverde and playing those three sort of Ridley, Laverde and, and one of Reed or, or Zerk Thatcher as our defence. And we just get caught out for height too often. I think you should be playing all four. You should be playing Ridley, Laverde, Reed and another tall. 
I think Kelly's been our strongest one-on-one defender this year, so you can't leave him out. For me, in reality, I think it's you're taking Heppel out of defence, moving him up the ground, and Jake Kelly takes his spot. So really, it's Redmond, Kelly, Ridley, Reed, Laverde, your extra tall, and Cutler or Hind, and then there's your seven defenders, and then you have Heppel up further up the field. Um, in another role. But I understand what you're saying, that they looked better. I think Laverde, when Laverde plays off his man, so he, he follows his man and attacks the ball using his forward as a reference point, he's really quite effective. He gets led to the ball and then just sort of beats him one-on-one. He got caught out a couple times, I reckon, trying to play in the zone, trying to cat, sort of trying to guard two people. And it was his man that was getting out the back a couple of times. But that was more because, you know, we were caught on the hop and he was trying to guard two people. But it's an interesting configuration about our defence because I agree with you that we need the sort of three tools plus Ridley with um, Laverde being one of those three tools. But I'm not sure how you fit it if you don't move Heppel out of there. Yeah, and look, I actually don't see another spot for Heppel on the field at the moment. So I don't think they'll move him, which is where I think... Jake Kelly gets squeezed, but I, I do I, I do think he would be a better option. I, I actually thought Heppel torched Bruce last night as well, which was pleasing to see because Luke Bruce has has had a habit in the past of yeah. uh, taking us apart. So so credit to Heppel there. But the other the other end of the ground, the forward line, eh, we already sort of briefly touched on how having uh, the, the other two targets helped Peter Wright a little bit. But there is one man that I want to talk about. And look, I'm going to have a two-second rant because I, I, I don't understand the football club at times because Friday they told us that Devin Smith was no good. He was two weeks. He couldn't play. Oh, Saturday yeah. night, Saturday night he turns around and plays. Now, he actually, I thought he actually played very well. And, and he was almost a Devin Smith of old. He laid six tackles. His pressure was good. It was strong. Yes, he gave away some dumb free kicks, which, you know, Devin does. But... If he's going to give away some dumb free kicks and sort of fly the flag at the same time, those situations I don't mind. It's when he gives away a dumb free kick because the bloke's kicked it and then Devin thumps into him and he gives the free kick 50 metres down the field. That Those sort of free kicks shit me. But last night, he actually, I thought, was very good. So my question to you is, Grizz, do you think it's acceptable for the football club to have said on Friday that he is not fit enough to play a VFL and then to play him in the AFL. I, I, I don't care if, if they... I would have preferred if they'd come out and said, look, we don't want him to play VFL. We're going to give him two weeks to get his knee because they, they say it's his knee that he's, he's, he's injured again. We're going to give him two weeks to get his knee back. Then we'll see how he goes. He may play about AFL. He may play VFL. I, I thought they sort of disrespected the fans a little. Yeah, that was really weird. <laughs> so that was another thing where I sat down to watch the TV um, just before the game started and I saw Devin Smith on the team sheet and went, huh? <laughs> what? Is there another D Smith on our list somewhere that I've just completely missed? But... Yeah, that's bizarre. Um, it, it's uh, to answer the question. I think the, your original question. I think it's a bit loaded. Is it acceptable? Well, it, it is because we pay attention anyway. Is it a good idea? Probably not. And, and look, to be honest, like before Zach Merritt came back from his syndesmosis after four weeks, so like, oh yeah, he's tracking well. He should be able to. He'll be back in um sort of in game simulation at training, hopefully next week. And then next thing we know, he's named to play. And Jake Stringer was the same with his groin before he did his hand ring when he came back for intake day. So it's almost getting to a point where we shouldn't trust the injury report, um, which is a really sad place to be, I think. I don't think it's it's a good way to engage with your membership if you're basically openly lying to them about the, the health status, the players in the sense of a player like preparedness to play. And I don't know. Yeah, I think I agree with you that he was pretty good last night. Like the best he's looked all year, but that was very bizarre. I'm not entirely sure what happened there. 
Uh, yeah, it was weird. Anyway, I just want to talk about your man, Nick Crichton. We're going to call him Nick Crichton Martin. Oh, um, no, 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 no. I reckon we call him Nick Brownlow Martin because I reckon he, Nick he's, Brown- he's on the way. <laughs> if he doesn't oh. win the Rising Star this year, I mean, if, 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 if the Rising Star was done now, he would absolutely have to win it. He's been the best young player so far. And David King on Fox Footy keeps bringing up Rising Star and still does, still basically refuses to mention him. So if you ever needed a um, hint that David King was a dickhead, that's <laughs> definitely right there a sign. Because how can you sit there and mention blokes like Joshua Shelley for the Rising Star and not mention Nick Martin, who has been the best young player so far this year? Yeah. I'm fired oh. up, Grizz. Nah, look, <laughs> I genuinely think he could win the Crichton. If it was to, if I just ended polling now, he may well win it. Like, <laughs> which is unbelievable for a guy that's played eight games. Um, but I wonder if the fact he's 21 this year counts against him. Everyone, all the sort of guys who's going up against uh, 18. And I'm not saying it's a good reason, but if you look over the history of the Brown, of the Rising Star, guys who you know are a bit older generally will be deferred uh, they generally defer to give the award to the younger guy. I remember like when Heppel won it, I think in two thousand twelve or two thousand eleven, Luke Shuey probably had the Betty statistically, but it was Luke Shuey's third year. So they gave it to Heppel because he was younger. So I think that's probably the that's probably the tiebreaker at the moment in the media. But he absolutely should be getting more talk. Like he's kicked I think it's ten goals this year in eight matches as a wingman. And he's averaging like twenty three disposals. Like <laughs> it's just unbelievable. We're, like it's a, <laughs> this guy's running around, themselves. Oh, he's been running around the state league for two years. Like, how has no one picked up on this kid? It's just it's unbelievable. And wouldn't West Coast love him at the moment? But they can keep the grubby mitts off of him. Thank you very much. Well, well, if he decides to go home, let's hope we get a Tim Kelly style trade for him. But um, the other <laughs> the other example, of course, which which we all still love to remember is Andrew McGrath won the Rising Star against Ryan Burton, which in his second year, which of course Hawthorne fans went into a meltdown about. So, Ryan Brontone, don't you mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> who, who of course now, of course now, according to Hawthorne fans, he actually isn't that good, and they were happy to get rid of him. No. So. Um, how times have changed, but the one, the one more player I do want to I do want to quickly touch on before we uh, before we let Milky get a word in edgewise, and that is Ben Hobbs. You know, he kicked that goal, kicked his first goal. We all went nuts. Then, of course, score review. I think it was touched as much as we hate it. Um, actually, yeah, as a side note, touched. completely completely unrelated. I actually watched the game without commentary last night, without any sound. I was at a bar, so I didn't watch it. Didn't have any issues with the umpiring, and I actually didn't notice them as much probably because there wasn't as much. Um, I didn't hear the commentators debate their decisions for five minutes. So I actually probably thought the umpire was was pretty decent last night. But uh, we'll, we'll agree to disagree there. As I said, if we as I said, mate, I, I didn't see. I, I only saw the game, so from what I could see, I didn't think they missed a great deal. Peter, the Peter Wright one got a bit of. I know that got a bit of excitement from a few people on the board, but yeah, you know, as as um as I have heard the the replay since, he did he didn't need to do it. It's a pretty dumb thing to do, but oh no, the Peter Wright one, hundred percent there. Like, look, let's let's be really clear. Like the, I think that I think you mean on the Redmond goal yeah, or non goal. Yeah. Which, yeah, that was, which that was by hundred, the way, by the way, we were. I was in. A, as I said. I was at a sports bar and we were all in a bloody group hug. We were in a bigger hug, a bigger hug, a bigger pile on than the players were on the ground before we realised what had happened. Um, no, that was a hundred, 110% free kick against Peter Wright. I watched it on the replay and went, ah, right, okay. The thing that got my goad was um, we got the one fifty meter penalty for descent all night. Like for, um, I think it was Aaron Francis putting his hands up in the air, and then two minutes later, two Hawthorne guys did the exact same thing. 
nothing. I'll be Which, honest. I, I, yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't see them do that, but I did see Fran. I thought Francis was fair enough because he had his hands up for a fair while. Um, but like, yeah, it's just inconsistent. Yeah, we don't want to rag on the umpires too much, but yeah. the inconsistency of that rule two weeks into its implementation is bizarre. But to the original point, Ben Hobbs only nineteen touches, but he just cracks in. His tackling was, I thought, a strong point. He had four tackles, a couple of them inside fifty, and when he latches on, like, <laughs> like he's like a clam. It was quite incredible. I think he's a goer, and I think if McGrath's going to play more time in defence, which it seems like he is. I think the four-man midfielder rotation of Hobbs, Caldwell, Parrish and Merritt seem to look really good at times, particularly in clearance situations. Yeah, absolutely. And so I thought Hobbsy was very good and I thought it was great to see him actually played in the midfield toward, in that second half and he, he had you know 11 touches in that second half, which, as you said, it's, it doesn't sound like huge numbers, but for a bloke who got went into midfield probably the, one of the first times, it was actually pretty handy. And I, I did say I only wanted to mention Ben Hobbs, but there is one more bloke, and you did mention him earlier about poor old Dylan Shield. I, I, I will just say this about Dylan Shield last night. He actually led the clearances for us in that in that last mm. quarter. Um, so for all the shit he gets for missing that goal, and he absolutely missed that goal, he started. Yep. He should have kicked that goal. I still think he did four or five really good things, and they just get completely missed because yep. of that one mistake. And yeah. That's the definition of a whipping boy right there. He makes one mistake. That's what we remember. He looks like a guy who has the weight of the world on his shoulders. Like he just looks like a guy that knows he's under the microscope. I think unfairly. Like everyone talks about his defensive efforts. Yeah, they were poor, but he's not Robinson Crusoe there. Like <laughs> you can point out any of the other midfielders, bar maybe Zach Merritt, and put serious question marks up against their defensive efforts for the last month. But with that set shot, you just you could tell he didn't want to have it. He didn't want the shot. Like he's just like, oh he it's almost like you know if I miss this, oh no, they're gonna come for me. And yeah, it's a horrible place to be as a footballer. And, and the shame is, like you said, he actually does plenty of good things, but people are just sort of waiting on that terrible thing. And he just looks like, you know, he's got the weight of expectation on his shoulder and he's a good player. He'll find his way out of it. But uh, I agree with you. I think last night was nowhere near as bad as maybe some people or some posters on the board thought it was. Yeah, I think that's actually a good spot for us to end the review of the Hawthorne game, Grizz, because we do have have a man from the Sydney Swans board sitting patiently waiting to chime in about this upcoming clash between the Dons and the Swans. Milky, how are you, my friend? Good, mate. Good. Pleasure of being here. This is my first opposition board podcast to be on. So thank you very much for having me on. Now, mate, I'll start you off with a nice softball question that I know Essendon fans will be very eager to, to hear you answer. What's it like going to a game every week knowing that if things go to shit, the AFL and by extension, the umpires are going to bail you out? Oh, <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Milky. Wowzers. Oh, what a way to make my blood boil. <laughs> I just thought I just thought I'd throw one out there early, mate, and go whack early. And um oh, at, before moving well, on to before well, moving I, on to uh, more pleasurable <laughs> topics. Well, I'd I'd have to be, you know what it's like to have like a blue dye on my shirt at the same time as the red and the white to know what getting umpire support feels like. <laughs> Look, yeah, I don't think you're going to get yeah. any arguments from any Essendon fans with that. But <laughs> we are diving into the, the Swans versus Essendon. And Milky, Grizz and I have spoken about this off air before. And we'll get your perspective. But we both think that the Swans and, and the Bombers is probably an underrated rivalry. And, and I have done a bit of research. And, and the last time that the two sides drew was back in 1996. And since that game, we've played 39 times for 26 results of 
four goals or less. So which means, you know, two out of every three games seems to be a relatively close match. Whether it be Lockett after the siren, um, Steve Alessio with 30 seconds left or, or Goods missing after the siren or even Gary Rowan molesting Marty Gleeson in the goal square. It, it does, it does. <laughs> Dane Rampey, Dane Rampey, you know, scaling halfway up a goalpost. Dan, Ra- Dan Rampey climbing the goalpost. It does seem that this clash seems to throw up closer results than, than normal. You also left out the um, the Essendon flog that played on on the siren. Oh, Courtney Dempsey. Oh, yes. Courtney Dempsey. Oh, <laughs> how can we yeah. forget that one? <laughs> I still haven't replaced a hole in the wall. That that's, uh, that was unbelievable. It does feel like a, a slightly underrated rivalry because there has been so many close finishes in recent time. But other than probably, I want to say 2017, we haven't really faced in finals much from my memory. No, not no. since '96. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and a lot of a lot of rival modern day rivalries seem to be generated from finals clashes. Like Geelong Hawthorne immediately springs to mind. GWS Western Bulldogs as well. Mm-hmm. Other than like your classic, you know, big four Melbourne club rivalries, most of the modern ones are done. Even Sydney West Coast was based on the the grand finals and the finals that we played against each other. So because yeah. we haven't had those tight finishes in finals, people probably don't think of it as much as a rivalry. But going yeah. into this game, I, I, I just know either one way or the other, it's going to be a two-goal margin. We actually did play them again in finals in 99. So there was another one between 96. And that was actually Plugger's last ever game before his ill-fated comeback in 2002. I was four then, so I don't think I remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think Bont and I talked about this sort of off-air, was, which was I think the last five matches have all been seven points or less. So I had this deep anxiety whenever we play Sydney that I'm just going to chew my fingernails down to the quick. And that's because his like, last few times I've played, which is the last five times, sorry, it's just been super tight. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if style makes fights. I don't know if it's just the SCG, the, the dimensions of it always generally end up making a closer game because, you know, center clearances are worth so much value if you can get them at the SCG. But oh, for sure. um, it's it's always a really good game and you know Essendon scores a lot from some of the clearances which is probably how we're able to hang on against Sydney at the SCG but it's always a good match and something weird always happens we're joking about you know Dan Rampey and you know Adam Goods missing after the siren and, and you know Tony Lockett in 90s like all, something weird is bound to happen oh, in one for of sure games. even even last year it was like the I, I didn't watch a lot of Essendon games last year but I feel like that was the only game where Jake Stringer just decided to be a great midfielder <laughs> he just, I think he got like I, I'm exaggerating but I think he got like 15 center clearances and five of them led straight to goals he kicked himself like it was just it was just like the one game where Stringer just went you know what I want to win this game fuck everybody else yeah and he didn't do much since you know I, last year I remember we got off to like a, a four goal lead this is like round four or something and I thought oh we're on here and then Sydney just mowed us down and that last quarter was pure mayhem just goal yeah. for goal yeah, it's just uh, Tom Hickey gave, uh, I think it was Sam Draper, I reckon at the time, a bath and um, really won that game for you guys. But I think clearances in the Ruckman this week is probably going to be crucial considering you know, SCG is such a, a clearance dominant ground. Which makes me really happy we're finally getting Ruck Jesus back. <laughs> ah, so Hickey's Tom back Hickey. this week, is he? Uh, well, uh, he, well, he played reserves last week, um, and he he split the ruck duties in the reserves, um, and Laddams played in the seniors. So I, I can't see a reason why Hickey wouldn't come back. I was looking at the VFL game. I think Tom Hickey played full game. It says he dominated twenty three disposals, a goal, six clearances, and twenty six hitouts. So he sounds yeah. like just in time to kick our butts. 
I hope so. Yeah, it's interesting, Milky, because I actually have thought that Laddams has done fairly well in, in Hickey's absence, but he did get towed up mm-hmm. by Wits, who is one of the form ruckmen of the league, no doubt. But just in general, I thought this, I actually watched the Swans and, and the Suns on the weekend, and the Suns were, you know, they played all right, but I thought the Swans just, just struggled. You've certainly started the season off on a fly. You're 5 and 1 at one stage, and you, you got beaten by Brisbane, you know, which, which <laughs> let's be honest, getting beaten by Brisbane at the moment is, is not exactly a shock to most sides. I think, you know, if I was a Swans fan, and I would have been just disappointed with how they turned up against the Suns. Oh, ab- absolutely disappointed. It's like the past three, maybe even four weeks, probably not so much against the Eagles because, like, let's be real, it's the Eagles at the moment. They're lucky that they can, you know, feel the side. We've played maybe three quarters to a quarter and a half a game. And in that time, we've won the game, essentially, except against Brisbane. But in against that game against Brisbane... But he kicked like four goals in 10 minutes. And we went from like five goals down to, I think we even may have hit the front at one stage. I didn't get to watch it properly. So like we play really well in that patch, but we haven't put together a full game yet. Even going back against the game against the Bulldogs that we lost, we didn't play the first half. We, were, we kicked a total of nine for the first half of the game and only lost by like, by, I think by nine in the end anyway. So we aren't playing four quarter footy and it was really evident last week against the Suns. We just couldn't get out of second gear. But when we, when we got forward momentum, we would butcher it going for goal. Heaney is someone I would probably put most of my money on to kick a goal at any point, particularly it's like snapshots. He takes, the, he takes snaps, um, set shots really, really well, almost better than um, kicking a drop punt. He kicked 0-3 for the game, and we ended up losing by 14. He kicks those goals, we win. So we have not played a full game yet, and hopefully, fingers crossed, we, this loss against the Gold Coast was really the kick up the ass we desperately needed. I think you can take another week before you get that kick up the ass, mate. <laughs> yeah, I, don't, I, I, I don't think you need four holders. I'm, I'm hoping it's not. But, look, if, if you just want to play like a quarter and a half, two quarters against us, fine by us like just well, we, uh, if it helps we did that against hawthorne and won by 40 yeah uh, uh, right, but, uh, okay. uh, just just not the point out we only played a quarter against hawthorne and beat them by 27 so how's good how good's hawthorne traveling right now so by that logic we win by 13 well uh, yeah down. basically <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> Um, one area which I think is going to be interesting for, for the Bombers and the Swans is, is the midfield battle, which we which mentioned. Yeah, The Swans probably, they, they're still, I think, similar to Essendon in that they don't really have that express pace midfielder out there. Is that a fair... I mean, I know I think Chad Warner's got a bit of toe, toe about him, doesn't he? And he's been yeah. pretty handy Warner, this year. But So Warner's quick off the pace. You'll find, if you watch most of it, if he can play on after like taking a mark or break out of a stoppage, he's gone. Like he is absolutely gone to the point where he actually got caught holding the ball because he took a mark, went to play on. And the guy who was coming to take the mark was like 20 centimeters from him and just wrapped him up. So like (laughs) he just, he just goes and it's great to see. But outside of really Mills and Heaney, when he does a brief stints in there, because he spends a lot of time forward, we don't have a big bodied quick Mm. mid to just win contested ball, break from stoppage and like push it forward. Uh, Park has been dealing with a bit of a hamstring issue and Kennedy's, despite being an absolute champion, he's just, he's getting on a bit and he was never the quickest. No, he wasn't. He was always a very much yeah. use his size to, but to burst through. Use his size, use his hands yeah. to yeah. give it to a Hanabry exactly. who could burst from stoppage. We, we don't, we, we don't have that other than Mills isn't like quick, quick, but he thinks quick and he's got good skills. 
but he doesn't he's, burst from stoppage. He, he's functionally fast, which is uh, yeah. like in the sense that every he's fast enough to get done what he needs to do. It, 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 we were talking about Josh Kennedy. Historically, and, and Bont, I'm sure, will, will probably attest to this. Historically speaking, Josh Kennedy's a midfielder that just seems to have 35, eight clearances, 11 tackles, <laughs> and a couple goals against us just about every time he plays. But it's interesting with him not playing in the, so much in the midfield and probably he seems to be playing more sort of off half back at half the back moment. wing, yeah. yeah. They've, so, they've, they've, they've moved um, him out to that more that just because our defense is a bit young, for lack of a better word, um, a bit more yeah. experienced than um, it used to be. Like back in the day, you'd always say, oh, Sydney's defense is like the best in the, is like best defensively ted richards heath grundy dane rampy you could just rattle them off and off like nick smith i even you know you can rattle them off just excellent one-on-one defenders we don't have that much as anymore um so we've moved kennedy more onto the wing half back to try to like shore up the back line but does it hasn't worked his best game was when he's the sub um and he can come in late be fresh and when everyone's already half a pace off it he kind of like matches up and he can just do what Kennedy does and just brute force his way into it. Yeah, so I I suppose, you know, with, with Kennedy out of the midfield, like historically it's the bigger sort of more powerful mids that used to give Essendon troubles. But I look at the the size and, and sort of the skill set of the midfield and they seem to match up pretty closely with maybe Kennedy and Warner's sort of breakout pace being sort of the only differentiators in that sense. So it really will be, I think, a key... The key to this game, I think, will be that the team that wins centre clearances and clearances in general are probably going to get on top. And and this could be one of those ones where there's three or four goal swings everywhere. It just depends on who's winning clearances at any given time, particularly centre clearances. I think before this week, it's sort of the one of the few ways we were able to score was centre bounce clearances, sort mm-hmm. of, you know... Um, Draper and, and Parrish and Stringer before he was injured, sort of getting on the run and, and getting forward the stoppage. But I think our forward line probably still has a few more issues and relies on getting really strong one-on-one looks. And so, yeah, I think we've all tested that midfield's going to be key on Saturday. It's going to be interesting to see how the Swans line back line does go because Hawthorne found out on, on Saturday night that two metre Peter, you know, being so tall, that the shorter undersized sort of 195 How tall is he? Yeah, two meter Peter. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> cool. Two, yeah, yeah. Um, they did find out that the 195 sort of size undersized key position yeah. defenders don't work, and that's what the McCartan brothers are doing for Sydney at the moment. A little bit is they are playing that key position back, and and look, Paddy McCartan's the story of the season for mine so far. His 100%. comeback's been unbelievable. But Milky, who goes to Peter Wright because when he gets his big arms out, he's incredibly hard to stop, and it'll be the same problem we're going to have again with Lance Franklin at the other end. Mm. Uh, it'll be Tom McCartan that'll go to Peter Wright. Tom is much more of the. He's still a good intercept defender, good, very good ma, good spoil, but he's better one-on-one than um, Paddy McCartan is, I'd say. So they, you would probably find Paddy will do more um, peeling off, intercepting, helping out, particularly if Rampy's occupying someone else. So I think Tom will be the first matchup for Peter Wright. But just on forward lines, I'm not worried about your talls. And I've never been worried about a tall in any Sydney game that we have, have had this year because we get slaughtered by the smalls. Oh, you're in luck. We don't have any smalls. Yeah, like, you're fine. <laughs> you're we, in, you're, yeah, our, our game plan our at the moment is to either either kick at the tip, Peter Wright, and have him, have him pluck a mark, or have Nick Martin do something absolutely outrageous in his first season on the half four line. <laughs> and that's how we're scoring goals right now. There's oh, no well. McDonald tip. There's no McDonald tipping Woody. He's still running around the VFL. You know, Will Snelling's out. 
probably our most dangerous sort of medium at the moment, Archie Perkins, and he's a bit off the boil at the moment. Nick Martin somehow is um, second most prolific goal kicker, despite the fact he plays on a wing, which probably tells you how our forward line's going. Well, well, watch him, because we have a tendency to let the small spuds, as I call them, shine against us in the forward lines. They have absolutely slaughtered us. Like I think Jack Zebel kicked five. Um, Isaac Rankin, who hasn't played well all year, kicked like three and got like 20 touches running off wing and pushing, pushing forward. It's absolutely the small forwards that will, that will torture us. We are playing the best kick in the league as a lockdown small defender because we have no one else and we're trying to teach him defensive pressure. Like that is, that is the state of our smalls. Well, you'll be, yeah, as Gru said, you'll be glad to know there's not too many, but I have just put a note down that in my uh, same-game multis this weekend, Nick Martin, two goals plus to uh, have. <laughs> I, I, I don't condone betting, but that is, that is, a, that is a sneaky one. I would, um, <laughs> I would yeah, for there's sure. The- if, if, you had Tip, if Tip and Woody was playing, he would be down for five. Although right. I, can, okay. although I, consider, I don't consider Tip and Woody a good player. I consider him a win-more player because every time I watch you guys play and you win, Tip and Woody does well, but he was never the difference maker. But when you lose, he's doesn't he, he's barely sighted yeah. all game. So That's I was a- never really worried about Tip and Woody. But this Nick Martin guy that I've never fucking heard of before, and I see <laughs> averages one point five goals a game at the moment. He will kick three. <laughs> so there is one Sydney player that I do want to talk about and it's one that the Swans managed to find because without their academy he no doubt would never have picked up a, uh, a Sharon and, that, and that's Nick Blakey because um, <laughs> he, he obviously, he, he obviously uh, he's obviously best made discovered by the Swans which is great but the reason I want to talk about him is, 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 is Grizz I see him as what I hope Nick Cox will be in that he's, he's a bloke that's the size of a key position back but he plays as a halfback flank of running and I said last week I love watching Sam Frost run um, prior to the Hawthorne game I'm going to say it again I love watching Blakey run now Blakey's much more skilled with ball in hand than Sam Frost and he's much more coordinated but geez when he takes off as if it's not a baby giraffe just loping up the field with ball in hand and, and it's something that I think you know when we when Eston finally decide to stop the uh, Nick Cox experiment on the wing that, that that's the kind of player we're hoping Cox will end up being yeah. he, he's a bit like Jath at Hawthorne where like they Get there, sort of that, that somewhere between 194, 196 centimeter guys. That when you take off, you're like, oh, what's gonna happen now? And it's either gonna be really, really good or it's gonna blow up in your face. And you take that risk because when it goes really well, you, you generally end up scoring. Yeah, I think he's the perfect example for Nick Cox because, yeah, coming off half back, it's just so much easier to read the play than trying to play on a wing and get up and down the ground plays that link play and yeah it's just playing behind the football is a lot easier to adjust to I think for a young guy and Nick Blake he's not a young guy anymore he's actually he's probably more an established player but he'll be really key because his his drive off half back and through the wings when he is running off half back it is super important because he's an 80 meter player he'll get it from half back to half forward in one position yeah so what happened with Blakey was he we tried playing him as a forward because of his height but he's Built like a like a wafer. He's just super thin. It wasn't quite working. We tried him in the middle, but he wasn't hard enough. He literally went to hip and shoulder someone once and bounced off them. Um, we tried him on the wing, but he couldn't get the ball enough to to use his pace and things like that. So he got he got dropped, got told to play half back, and then he got fed the ball. And when he got fed the ball, he was breaking lines, not just with his pace, but with foot skills as well. 
So he's been a very good attacking halfback option. And he's always good for a spoil because of his height. So he averages, uh, according to the stats, like over 500 meters gained a game. I can't find a stat for who has the most for this for the year. I can't find that. But he'd definitely be up there. We love getting the ball into Blakey's hands. Because once he gets it, he'll go and he'll take the game on. But yeah, he was tried in a lot of spots and halfback seems to be where he is now. I personally would love to see him be pushed up to a wing, pushing the ball forward more if we could get the ball into his hands on the wing more. Um, but we would need to relook at our halfback flankers for that. What changes are you looking at, do you reckon, for this week for your team? If you, um, if you, were, if you were to sack John Longmire and they were to hire Milky... <laughs> As coach, the first change I would do is I love McLean. I think he's great and he's good for a goal and a half a game. And I think he takes pack marks really well. But with Buddy's age at the moment, they're kind of getting in each other's way, trying to be the stay at home full forward. It's just not quite working. I would drop McLean for Hickey and let Laddams be the second ruck because we don't want Hickey solo rucking anymore. So we, having those two rucks, Laddams is a better ruck than McLean particularly around the ground, which would free up Hickey a bit. Um, so I would drop McLean for Hickey, but play Laddams as a, for, as a forward. I would drop Will Hayward simply for the fact that he gave up a 50-meter penalty after the umpire told him to move back five times and he just didn't fucking move. So I would just drop him <laughs> for stupidity alone. And I, I, so I would drop Hayward for O'Riordan, who is another kind of small defender halfback flanker. He did really well in the reserves. I would like to reward his form which would hopefully allow Campbell, who has been playing as a small defender, to move up the ground either in Hayward's role as a more of a pressure defense. Uh, Hayward's more of a just a just a medium forward, but just have him there and let Heaney play that medium forward role a bit more. And I would move Kennedy back to the sub vest, and I would bring in Dylan Stevens as just, just as a guy who can run and who has that evasion, which might help our speed in clearance. And I think it would give our our midfield group a much better balance. Problem with with our changes, Grizz, is it's going to be interesting to see what happens because the team structured up really well on Saturday night, and that was more of because the coaching staff's hand was forced. They didn't really design that structure, mm. but I thought it worked really well. So it will be interesting. The other bloke that I am worried about from the Swans is Tom Papley. Now he's been fairly quiet this year. He's obviously only played the two games. He only kicked a goal into Gold Coast and was pretty quiet against Brisbane. It, it's the kind, he's the kind of player that Essendon will just, just let him rip right back into form and kick four or five and have the time of his life. Um, That'd be yeah. nice. Well, for yeah. you, maybe. Not not so much for us, <laughs> yeah. mate. But yeah, but we need Jake Kelly back for that matchup. Um, Jake Kelly does a really good job on the smalls. And, and I think a lot of our changes, Bonds, will be dependent on who's not ill. I think we had one, two, three, four... We had six changes due to illness last Ooh. week. Not COVID illness, that apparently, but just sort of a flu. Yeah. And so who, you know, what changes we make and, and who comes back in will largely be dependent on health, I would imagine. Well, lads, I think that'll just about do us for tonight. So, Milky, I'll grab your tip and just remember where you are. <laughs> um, I will remember that we're at the SCG and we don't play the SCG very well anymore, which probably leads more into an Essendon favour. But I, I think my my head says my head my head says Swans by probably no more than about a goal. My heart on by, my heart says Sydney by twenty four because I think on paper we're a better side, but I know we're in bad form and we don't play our home ground very well. Plus, we always have close games with Essendon. It's just like the law of nature. So I, I'm still going to tip Sydney regardless, knowing full well you're both going to stab me as soon as this podcast ends. 
Um, but yeah, that's that's where I'm leaning. And Grizz, what's your tip? Keep it in mind, I think you did tip Peter Wright to kick seven. He only got six, so he did let you down on the, the weekend. Yeah, and I did say that Essendon would win, and then you and Jamie told me to stop being ridiculous. So, yes, we, you know. we did. We did tell you to live in reality. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I was really close to getting the double up there, but um, uh, I think... 16th, two games, two wins for the year. Yeah, look. Yeah, look, no, I think Sydney will win. I think it'll be a three-goal margin. Um, Ooh. I think Sydney will win, not... Super comfortably, but they'll keep us at arm's reach for the majority of the game. Not a junk time situation where it's tight, it's tight, it's tight, last five minutes of the fourth quarter. Oh, look, that could always be Tom Papley could run and headbutt someone's knee and get a free (laughs) kick and blow the lead out to 18. That's uh, well within the realms of To be fair, if you play Peter Wright on Tom Papley, he will just run into his knee. That's just like how height works. (laughs) Yeah, well, we we want to avoid that matchup then because Papley will get a free kick no matter what. That is very true. Well, look, I'm going to I'm going to go against you, Grizz. I'll tip the bomb. I'll be the one that tips the bombers this week, and we'll see if that comes off. I still think Tom Papley will possibly be played back into form, and if he doesn't, then I'm sure Buddy will kick his usual five or six against the bombers. But <laughs> thank you, Milky, for joining us. Thanks, Grizz, as always. And to our listeners, please remember when you are listening to this, remember to like, subscribe, and comment so that we know what to do for you in the future. Thank you all very much for tuning in. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been a dank time.